The European Union has moved under pressure to impose historic interventions in the energy market, to rein in soaring prices that are hammering industry and hiking household bills. The situation's become even more dire after Russia recently announced it would continue to cut gas supplies from the critical Nord Stream 1 pipeline until Western sanctions are lifted. European governments have already allocated billions of euros to protect consumers from skyrocketing energy prices, and the whole region is scrambling to fill its storage facilities and to secure non-Russian energy sources ahead of winter. But according to my next guest, it's the people of the United Kingdom who will face an exceptionally hard winter thanks to technical challenges and a woeful lack of preparation by the British government. Henning Gloystein is the Director of Energy, Climate and Resources at the Eurasia Group based in London and I welcome him now. Hello there. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So along with the other sort of extraordinary situation you're living through with the death of the Queen, you have this on you. Um, European energy ministers met yesterday, Henning, for an emergency meeting. How significant are the measures they announced? What will they achieve, essentially? Yeah, it's it's radical what they've decided or what they want governments across the EU to decide. So it's an unprecedented emergency market intervention. It seems to have found agreement across most EU members. So we reckon it'll go ahead. The first thing is that they need to control prices, as you said. Energy prices across Europe are are soaring. They're skyrocketing to to totally unaffordable levels for industry and households. So they need to be reined in. The second uh, measure is um, that demand needs to be uh, brought down as well, because if consumption doesn't reduce now across Europe, there will be winter shortages. So they need to get consumption down now. Um, and the, net, uh, the third uh, measure is emergency liquidity for energy uh, providers that have to buy coal or gas as imports and then uh, make electricity out of it and sell it on to, to retailers at lower prices. They're literally running out of cash, so there needs to be liquidity support for those. And then finally, there'll be windfall tax on um, low-cost energy producers like uh, renewable producers, nuclear producers, and a so-called solidarity tax or solidarity contribution on um, oil and gas producers in Europe so that governments can actually afford all these subsidies and support measures that they're going to roll out. So all in, you are seeing a, a, a unprecedented market intervention in Europe. And that is something the UK has not done. And that is the difference between the two. Um, And uh, tell us more, if you would, please, about the UK. I understand you've told your clients that the UK is woefully unprepared and that people could face extreme energy shortages. Yeah, in the worst case, uh, this is exactly what we we worry about because uh, so uh, governments across the European Union started to prepare for winter shortages pretty much at the start of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So uh, by March, April, most EU members were starting to put uh, measures into place to to prepare for winter, like uh, trying to fill storage levels of gas, uh, trying to ask consumers, industrial and households to consume less. Uh, In Britain, nothing such happened. Uh, and uh, what's worse is now uh, the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, she came into power uh, this week. Uh, she has said 
She does. She wants to rule out. She said she would rule out any measures to ask industrial households to consume less energy, and then on top of that, she capped. Um, she announced a cap of energy prices. So that means that uh, there is no incentive now for people to reduce their bills, and that means that people who are not experts, which most people, of course, aren't, uh, might not be aware that there's actually a need to reduce consumption ahead of winter. That then means that uh, once winter comes and there's a real shortage uh, looming at short notice, the knee-jerk reaction by the British government might have to be much bigger than it is in Europe, where preparations have been ongoing for months now. And this is despite the fact that the UK imports only a small amount of Russian gas. Indeed. Actually, at the moment, it doesn't import any Russian gas, um, at least not officially. You know, it's very hard to you know, identify molecules where they come from, given that Britain is on the European gas grid as well. But officially, there's no imports from Russia. Uh, and the problem in the UK is that uh, Britain used to be a gas producer. And uh, gas producers don't invest into storage facilities, understandably, because if you need more gas, you just pump more gas. But Britain's gas um, production has been in decline for 15 years now. And uh, the UK never really invested into new storage facilities. So while the likes of Italy or Germany can, can uh, in peak winter times, meet uh, demand for about two to three months just out of storage in Britain, that demand time is about two to three days. And, and so uh, if it gets cold or if anything else happens in the supply chain, LNG supplies from around the world, or Norwegian pipelines break down, then Britain could find itself in, in some trouble. And that's our worry. Um, what about, Has uh, Liz Truss announced a new energy minister? Like, do we know yet? Because I think only half of them have been sworn in. Yes, this is Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, Jacob Rees, of course. Now, mm. Indeed. And uh, this is, uh, to, I mean, to be blunt, uh, is, is, is an, an additional concern. Um, he is, I mean, I, I don't know what his qualities might be, but they're, they're not in energy industry and uh, uh, and uh, uh, industrial strategy, which is now his, his beat. That's his responsibility. And on top of that, he's known as a climate skeptic. So um, he, that doesn't add to confidence in, in what's happening. It's going to be a big shock of a winter. Look, Ru Russia is certainly inflicting savage economic pain. Do you have an estimate of the overall cost uh, uh, over Europe and the UK of responding to the gas shortages? I mean, my, how would you compare it, say, to the recent global financial crisis? That's a very good question. Uh, so uh, it's, it's almost impossible to, to put a figure to it at this stage, apart from that it'll be huge. Uh, I mean, Russia's gas supply to Europe as a whole have uh, declined by 90% year on year already. So basically, uh, there's Russia has imposed a, a gas embargo on Europe at this stage, just ahead of winter. The cost of this will be enormous. It will almost certainly mean a recession for the EU, probably the UK as well. So pretty much all of Europe will be in recession over winter at a best case scenario. Uh, that's if they muddle through without severe rationing and without severe blackouts. If, if it comes to worst case scenario, there, there could be an industrial uh, crisis of, of unheard of levels. And in terms of money, let's put a guess on it. I mean, the latest guess I've heard for the UK is that the, the measures now planned by the government are 5 to 6% of GDP, and for the whole of the EU, maybe 3% of GDP. So that puts you into territory close to the emergency measures that were taken during COVID. What about Southern Europe? Isn't there another pipeline from Russia via Turkey to this region as well? Are they vulnerable too? Or is Russia targeting Germany, particularly in that northern Europe? 
so uh, Russia is certainly targeting uh, Germany in particular. It's the biggest economy. It's the biggest gas user. Uh, and on top of that, it was the biggest user of Russian gas. So uh, this is where they're inflicting their economic pain on Europe. And and Germany has nine land borders with its European na- uh, neighbors. So that's where it hurts most. Uh, now, Southern Europe, you're absolutely right. Um, there's the Turk Stream pipeline that goes via Turkey uh, into the European Union uh, via the, in, in the Mediterranean basin. Uh, we do not think that will uh, be interrupted because that would mean that Russia cuts off Turkey as well. Turkey has not imposed any sanctions on Russia at this stage. And in fact, uh, Turkey and Russia still uphold somewhat uh, healthy trade and political relations. So that would be uh, cutting one of the very few semi-allies or politicians um, and governments which with which Russia holds um, some relations. So we don't think that'll happen. On top of that, it, it doesn't really relieve uh, Europe as a whole. It, it gives Greece and Italy a little bit of gas, but not much to, to, to avoid a major crisis. And actually, it still gives Russia some revenue. So uh, at this stage, we don't think that part will cut off. I mean, you talk to people in the energy sector and politics uh, all the time, Henning. Is there real concern that these high energy costs, really quite eye-watering that you're describing, could cause huge civil or social unrest in Europe? So there's, uh, of course, there is concern. I mean, if uh, the winter is cold and long and no Russian gas flows, and on top of that, there are un, uh, unexpected supply problems in global supply like LNG, Norwegian pipelines, then it's a worst case scenario, then absolutely. I mean, then, you know, people literally will die and freeze and that will would probably cause some political unrest. At this stage, however, uh, all the political indicators that we've monitored Sure, for some uh, unrest, maybe some demonstrations, but by and large, the public of Europe, across Europe, is now is still fully in favour for ongoing support for Ukraine. Uh, it might the Italian the Italian publics it, is a bit uh, brittle by the sound of it, though. Yes, they are a little bit more brittle than, uh, let's say, the UK public, and so there are regional differences, but. Overall, the support in Europe for Ukraine remains there. And because Europe is now being targeted by Russia itself, it actually feels like uh, Europe has become a victim of, uh, of an escalating uh, mm. war effort by Ukraine, uh, by Russia, I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, so, uh, no, we do not think this this will lead to full social unrest at this stage. But like I said, if, if the worst comes to the worst and uh, people start freezing in, in, a, in a very cold and long win- winter, um, then, then I mean, yes, of course, uh, this uh, unrest would be possible. As and well. a, and of course, in a medium term way, if it if the war continued, say for years, how do you see this playing out? I mean, more coal fired power stations being brought back, as is occurring in Germany, or what? Uh, yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, so the the coal units that have been brought back in Germany and, and actually in, in the Netherlands, France, and Italy as well, um, uh, they will not be going off again in the next one to maybe even three years. That's uh, that's mm. not happening. In fact, the European Commission plan um, or the, the energy ministers meeting today and who put their recommendations to the European Commission actually said that the emergency framework should last until at least the end of 2023. So that's another one and a half years, at least. So this is going to be a while. Well, um, so, it, so yeah, it, it, it prompts my sort of two-part final question then. Um, is there a risk then that uh, the EU must will be linked to fossil fuels for longer than planned, putting future energy targets at risk? And I do wonder about the longer-term prospect for Russia because there will be huge declines eventually in gas income for them, won't there? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so to the first, uh, it's absolutely certain now whether uh, one likes it or not in Europe that uh, especially natural gas and in particular liquefied natural gas, so LNG, um, will play a longer role than um, many people wanted to in Europe. However, the entire European Union and the UK and pretty much every single national government across Europe has now said they will use this crisis to accelerate decarbonization in the long term. Yes, they're going to fire up coal-fired power stations for a few years, but they're throwing money at, at renewables and hydrogen, clean hydrogen, electric vehicles to reduce fossil fuel reliance overall, and in particular on Russia. And so that is going to accelerate, even if it doesn't feel like this right now. Regarding Russia, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, President Putin of Russia has sacrificed Gazprom, the, the um, pipeline gas monopolist um, in this war, because they can't just switch their gas exports by pipeline to, to China over the next few years. Uh, that'll take many years to happen. So that, uh, and, and uh, Gazprom exported 80% of its export revenues went to Europe. So that's going to be huge damage to Russia. And even in the oil industry, which is a bit more flexible globally, China and India buying lots of um, discounted Russian oil now. But in the long term, they've lost uh, all foreign investment uh, and a lot of trust. There's a lot of governments uh, around the world that might not be in favor or not officially supporting the West here. But they, they, they see what Russia is doing um, uh, as an invader and also as a business, um, uh, you know, an energy mm. ex exporter. And the trust is just not there. Um, so, so the damage on Russia will be long term and bad. Such an own goal. It is. And it's tragic for the people of Russia and also for Europe. I mean, because normally in you know, a big uh, natural gas, oil and coal supplier uh, next you know, to just to the east of the European Union should be a great uh, strategic partnership. But at this stage, sadly, that's that's uh, that's unworkable at the moment. Well, thank you very much indeed for that overview. Uh, depressing though it is, Henning Glostein, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, Henning is uh, from the Eurasia Group, by the way, based uh, in London. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.